I, uh, I always love hearing Jimmy sing, but um, I was also looking forward to Drew getting up here this morning because for the first time in our friendship, I have more hair than Drew does. Drew's got that summer cut going, and uh, I was going to make fun of him there. All right, let's turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. Now, Brother Don did a fantastic job of bringing us the word last Sunday. And let me say thank you again, brother. Appreciate it very much. Now, many of you are going to be familiar with today's passage. It is often preached because it is such a wonderful and clear picture of the church. And so it's very easy to understand Now, it's easy to understand, but it's not nearly as easy to live out. I hope that some of us are thinking that we have already decided what to do when we encounter something in the Word of God, a principle or a command. Uh, I hope that we've already said yes to God. You know, when, when He tells us through His Word to do something, there should already be a yes waiting for whatever command that is. When we first come to faith in Christ, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. There's a lot of stuff we don't understand. But if we come in repentance and we've truly turned over lordship of our lives to God, then we say yes even before we understand what he is asking us to do. You know, if you, uh, if you join the military, you don't have to make a decision every single time you're given an order, Right? You decided you were going to follow orders before you ever joined up. And uh, that's not a perfect analogy because sometimes a soldier could be asked to do something immoral or unethical. But with our God, we know that that is not the case. So when we come to anything in Scripture, we should already have a yes waiting to learn that command or principle. It is so difficult to do what Paul has been telling us to do so far in this letter. The theme that we keep seeing is that we are supposed to look out for number one. The catch is, number one is not you. Number one is your brother or your sister. And so we are supposed to continually show preference for one another. Now, we can all do this sometimes. You know, obedience sometimes is not even really that hard, right? Eating right sometimes is pretty easy. Eating right all the time is something that some of us, especially me, find difficult. So we Christians are called to a lifestyle of showing preference to others. That is not natural. As a matter of fact, it's downright supernatural. And that is the life that we are called to. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't call you Lord and then fail to do what you say. Father, I pray uh, that we would understand your word, and it'll be easy to understand this section. I pray that we would understand, but then, Lord, we would obey it. Father, your word tells us that if we love you, we will keep your commandments. That is what your son told us while he was here. Help us to love you because you first loved us, and Lord, help us to love you through keeping your commandments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look with me in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So the first thing that I want us to see is that we are one body. Regardless of race, of background, or of socioeconomic status. Now, how can that be? That's not normal for groups to have affinity with people that are not like them. The people that we hang around, the people that we choose to be with, are people that share our worldview and that share our cultural background. So how is the church, made up of Jews and Greeks in that day, supposed to be one? It's because what unites us is far stronger than what divides us. Look with me in verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, I said that we're one regardless of differences in race or background. You know, Jews and Greeks were extremely separated before Christ. Jews weren't even allowed to eat with the unclean Gentiles or Greeks. And you could, uh, you could say that, I mean, I know it says Greeks here, but we could also call that Gentiles because um, they were living in a very Greek-influenced world there, and so they just were saying Gentiles when they said Greeks. Can you imagine me saying to somebody of another race, hey, we can't even eat together because then I would become unclean. (laughs) That wouldn't go over very well, would it? 
Um, we had a bigger, you know, they had a bigger racial divide in their time than we have in our time. And the Christians got over it for the glory of God. We should do likewise. Now, what about background? I think we all know that the amount of pigmentation in your skin doesn't really make you a different thing, right? We all know that. We know that if you have more pigment in your skin or less pigment in your skin, it really doesn't matter. What we see mattering a little more, I think, is cultural background, right? Because our culture and somebody else's culture may be very different. For example, if a guy was adopted from the Middle East, okay, and he was adopted as a little child, and he was reared in a home in South Mississippi, then that guy might look different from us, but culturally he'd be identical, right? He might be uh, a fairly conservative a middle-class, Republican kind of guy, like most of us would probably say we are. Now, if he came in here, we wouldn't have any trouble getting along with him because culturally, he would be the same kind of person. There were big cultural differences, though, between the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks had been saturated in idol worship. And to put it very mildly, the Jews and the Greeks did church very differently. Nevertheless, they were united in Christ more than they were divided by their cultural differences. Well, what about socioeconomic differences? There are a lot of differences between slaves and free, which is what Paul says here. Uh, Now, this was not slavery as we Americans tend to think of the word. Um, Slavery wasn't based on race. Instead, sometimes people would sell themselves into slavery because they couldn't pay their debt any other way. Yet Paul says that both slaves and free are one in Christ, regardless of the huge difference in their socioeconomic lives. So we dare not discriminate in the church based on people's wealth. You know, James had a thing or two to say about that. If you want to look with me in James 2, 1 through 4, what he writes to the church is, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the Bible clearly tells us that we are one body regardless of our separation of race, or culture, or money. Next, I want us to see that we are each to play a vital role in the body. Look with me at verses 14 through 25 to see a wonderful illustration of this point. I can't do better than the Apostle Paul, so let's see what he said, and then we'll talk about it. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You know, we looked a couple of weeks ago at how we are gifted differently when we are saved and when we're put into the body of Christ. But when we all combine our gifts and work together, we can be a good representation of Christ. If you'll recall, I said that Jesus was, Jesus manifested all of the gifts of the Spirit and He manifested them all perfectly. Now there's zero chance that I am going to manifest every gift of the Spirit perfectly. And there's no chance that you will either. But when we gather together and combine the gifts that the Lord has decided to place in the body, then we can be that whole entire representation that we are supposed to be. Together we can manifest all of the various gifts in this body called West Laurel Baptist Church if we all engage and if we all work together. The manifestation of my gift allows me to stand up front most every week. That does not mean that it's the best gift. Uh, Clearly, uh, as we saw last week, Brother Don is gifted to teach. He exercises that gift with our um, prospective members class is one of the ways. How do you manifest your gift for the edification of the body? That's the question that we asked and that I want to continue to ask and I want you to continue to think on. How, when, and where do you manifest your gift? Let me tell you, here's when, how, and where. Participate in the services and the ministries of this church. Support the church in her every effort, and your gifts will rise to the top, and they will be manifest for the edification of the body. I told you a couple of weeks ago that I don't think Scripture lays out every single spiritual gift. It gives some lists, and some of the times some of the gifts are repeated in the list, but he doesn't set down in a theological way, here are the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm going to lay them all out. So there may be ones that we don't read about in Scripture. So what is your spiritual gift? I don't know, and you may not know, but it doesn't matter. Show up, serve well, And maybe we can all find out what your spiritual gift is. God made you the way he made you on purpose. He knew what he was doing. He brought you and put you in West Laurel Baptist Church on purpose. So if you're looking for your giftedness, it's probably going to be where your godly desires, godly desires, not just desires, where your godly desires, your godly ambitions, and your abilities meet. That's probably going to be where... You are spiritually gifted. So what do you do if your giftedness is a behind-the-scenes kind of gift? Well, I guess this is obvious, but you get behind the scenes and you use that gift. Now, that doesn't excuse us from appreciating you. As a matter of fact, I want to be more intentional in how we appreciate the people that are serving behind the scenes. But it's not, I know it's not for our applause that you do what you do. You do what you do to serve the Lord but we can and should be appreciative of your efforts. You know, Paul mentions a foot, a hand, an ear, an eye, a nose, a head, and feet 
and maybe I didn't miss any. But he also mentions weaker but indispensable parts, parts we think less honorable, unpresentable parts, and presentable parts. None of the parts of the body, though, are dispensable. Now, next time you have a headache, are you going to say, my head's killing me, I'm going to cut this thing off so I'll quit hurting, right? You're not going to do that, right? Because we want to care for our body. And you say, well, that's a silly illustration. We all need a head. Okay, well, so if you break your arm, are you going to suggest amputation? No, you're going to nurse that thing back to health, right? I've heard it said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded, right? We don't want to be that way. If there's a part of our body that is hurting, we want to care for that part of the body and nurture it back to health. If your body is attacking itself, you've got a real big problem. You've either got cancer or you've got an autoimmune disease that is going to cause you a lot of grief. We cannot afford to have cancers or diseases in the church body. You know, some of the parts that you don't really think about often are awfully important. I've told y'all before, I was taking some medicine that kind of messed up my kidneys and my kidneys weren't working real well. And I didn't walk around going, oh, my kidney hurts. I walked around weak as a baby kitten. I'm telling you, I was miserable. I was, I'm not going to tell you all my symptoms because they're gross. But anyway, it was not good. (laughs) I was feeling bad all over. All of me was miserable because my kidneys weren't acting right. Now, speaking of parts that you don't often think of, please don't be West Laurel Baptist Church's appendix. Now, what's an appendix do? Well, not much, right? Not much until it gets something wrong with it, and then it blows up and kills the body, right? (laughs) Don't be an appendix. Don't sit around saying, I'm not going to do much, but when I get upset, I'm going to explode and kill the whole body. Don't don't be that. Instead, be more like that well-functioning kidney where you take bad stuff out of the church (laughs) and you help the body to be healthy. Help filter out junk so that we stay healthy. You know, one way you can do that <coughs> is when people come to you and they want to gossip or they want to badmouth somebody, don't give them an audience. Guys, people can tell if they come to you and there's a glad audience there for their criticism and their gossip, well, they're going to come back to you again and they're going to enjoy fellowship with you because they know you dig that kind of thing. Don't be like that. Tell them if they've got something against a brother, the biblical thing to do is go and tell that brother. And if he won't listen, then you'll go with him. Give him an answer like that, and I'm guessing the person who wants to cause trouble will not be back to see you next time they want to cause trouble. We all have a part to play in the body, and we're not going to function as we should if part of our body isn't working. Now, you all know that, right? (laughs) Um, As we get older... Uh, things don't work as well as they used to, right? Uh, I went to the eye doctor a couple of years ago, and I said, Doc, I can't see as well as I used to be able to. And he said, well, everybody over 40 has to wear glasses. And I said, well, I'm, I'm 45. This was a couple of years ago. So he said, all right, we need you to get glasses. Let's do a test. And he did the test, and he said, actually, you're still a little better than 2020, so you don't need glasses. And I said, well, it's not as good as it used to be. And he said, well, it used to be really good. Um, And then I go back every year, and he tells me, at your age, you've got to get glasses. And then he does an eye test, and I don't have to get glasses. But the rest of my body isn't working quite as good as my eyes are. So we know as we get older, things quit working, and that's not as good for our body, right? 
So our body, we don't need dead parts. We need live, active parts. So if you're in this body called West Laurel Baptist Church, you have a role to play. I can't improve on Paul's analogy, obviously. So let's read it one more time. And I want you to think with me about what he's saying. I'm going to start in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Guys, we don't all need the same gift. We need to combine our giftedness and work toward the goal. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So we all have a part to play. Now understand that in verse 25, he says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So we understand, now let's obey as well and have no division in the body that we may have care for one another. So we've seen that we're one body. We are to each play a vital role in the church. And in verse 26, we see that we as one body take the good and the bad together. Verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you're out building something and you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't go, oh, my thumb is injured. No, you hurt, right? You hurt. And so it's, as a body, if one of our members is suffering, we don't chop it off. We don't ignore it. We minister to that person. Our, un- our interest must be about the mission of the body not the glory of any individual part. When we're operating in the Spirit, Jesus will get the glory for what the body does. Now the downside of that is, when we're operating in the flesh, sometimes Jesus will unjustly get the credit for what the body does. What one part of the body does affects the whole body for good or bad. This is, how, this is why how I conduct myself how I live with my wife in my marriage, how I behave toward others, uh, how, what kind of neighbor I am, all of those things are your business. Why? Because we are one body. And what I do reflects on you and vice versa. <clears throat> you know, you may be able to isolate yourself and bear your burdens alone, but that's not how the body is supposed to work. You know, you can hear me ask month after month that you become involved in a small group and get together with people who know you and really know you and know when you're sick, they know when you're hurting, they know when you're unhappy. You can drop the mask of everything is perfect in my house because you know and love those people and then they can care for you and they can bear your burdens with you. 
Um, you know, what I suggest, and I, I don't want to be legalistic about this, and if you don't want to do this, you don't have to do this. But what my recommendation is, is that you get in a small group that meets weekly in a home, and you actually get to know each other and fellowship with each other. The Bible tells us to stir up one another to good works and to bear one another's burdens. And we can't do that if we're not close to one another. When I struggle, I want you to help me. When the Lord produces victory and joy in my life, I want to celebrate that with you. So don't try to be a lone ranger Christian. Um, That notion is foreign to scripture, even though it is, is very common in the American church. All right, the last thing I want us to see is that different members of the body contribute different gifts for carrying out the mission. Verse 27 says, now you, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And I think most of us know that 1 Corinthians 13 comes after 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Corinthians 13 is that love chapter. So a more excellent way, he will show us, is showing love for one another. So we previously took the time to talk about the different gifts, and I won't do that today. But the theme that we keep seeing here in 1 Corinthians is that we are to love and prefer one another. That's hard to do, impossible, I would say, without the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what is it we are supposed to do as a result of coming to this passage of Scripture? Let us carefully guard our unity. Don't let race, culture, or income differences separate us or divide us. Next, serve in your role in the body. And don't be an appendix and not do anything until something goes wrong and you kill us all, right? As we are one body, let's celebrate without jealousy or without covetousness when somebody is blessed. Celebrate with them. Let's also mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and bear one another's burdens. Let's be content and thankful for whatever part the Lord assigns us in the body. And let's strive to function in that role to our maximum capacity. We don't have long to do the Lord's work in this life. Um, you, you can read in Scripture where it says we're, our life is but a vapor. And so we don't have a long time to get this right. So use the days that we have to work in the body for the furtherance of the kingdom. Let me ask you, are you indeed part of the body of Christ? Well, you can't be unless you're born again. To be born again means to be forgiven of your sins and united with Christ. You know, the problem that we have is we're born separated from God. We're born uh, with a rebellious spirit. Our forefathers decided to take the word of the serpent over the word of God. And they've passed down that legacy to us. And so we're born in rebellion. And we manifest that rebellion as we start making choices. You know, if you you don't believe in uh, total depravity, just hang out with a two-year-old for a little while. (laughs) And you'll see, okay, these guys are selfish. They want what they want when they want it, right? And that's why they're cute, so we don't get rid of them. But we grow up and and we stay that way. We stay self-centered by nature. 
And so what Christ did was he came and he lived a perfect, righteous life the way we should have lived in perfect obedience to the Father. And through faith, we can get credit for his life. And we can take our guilt and our sin and place it on his account, which he paid for at the cross. So if we do that, then we are placed in the body of Christ. And then if we follow the Lord, we, put, we get into a local body of believers and serve there. Speaking of which, let me tell you, we're about to have an invitation. And we want you to come up if you have any of the following three needs. If you are not positive you're saved, come up here and we'll talk about it. Uh, walking the aisle can't save you. Talking to me can't save you. But I can introduce you to the one who can save you. If you'll come up here because you would like to be a member of our church, we'll talk about how that happens and we'll start that process. And third, if you have a prayer concern that you would like to share with me, it would be my honor to pray with you. 